Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. Up Labor Day weekend, we're wrapping up our teaching series, Flawed. We spent the entire summer, at least you did, I wasn't even around that much, for this whole series, and we had great communicators come in and talk about these individual people in Scripture that some would even esteem as heroes, but one thing they had all in common, one thing was this, there's two things, one thing is they, they were flawed, okay? They're imperfect people, human beings that really at times blew their life up, and yet, Scripture actually brings them honor and says that they're people that we should look up to that are listed. And the key to it all was not what, how great they were, is that they walked in faith. They lived their life in faith, and we admire that. There's something powerful that we saw. And so today we're wrapping up that series, and it's interesting with Hebrews 11, the writer gets kind of the end, and I don't know if he like runs out of parchment paper or just got tired of writing, But he writes this, kind of sums it all up at the end. He says, what should I say? I don't have time to tell you about Gideon and Barak and and Samson and Jetheth and about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms and ministered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouth of lions, quenched the fury of flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength and who became powerful in battle and routed out foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refused to be released so they might gain even a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. And they're put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. I love this line next. It says of them, the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, lived in caves and holes in the ground. Men and women that we look up to and admired. And we can read in the Old Testament, they're listed by name. But how many know not everybody was listed in in the Bible that walked in faith? experience and back in those times. And so countless people that sacrificed themselves. And the writers just described, there's, there's too many people, there's too many names to even describe how these men and women lay down their life for God. And the writer goes on, he says, they were all commended for their faith. Meaning they were esteemed, they were admired. And we go, way to go. That is so awesome. That is an unbelievable, the faith that you have and how God used you. And yet, check out what is written next about them. Yet, none of them received what had been promised. None of them had received what promised. They didn't get rewarded? No, not, not really. Not at least on this earth. But that what they did do is pave the way. Verse 40 says, since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Now, did you catch that? Something better for us. God's like, listen, you think that was awesome. You think that was great. Guess what's going to happen? Check out what's about to happen. Something better for us. What was the better? Who was the better? Jesus was the better. He came. He was the one to make it perfect. 
Make us perfect before Almighty God. We can admire the heroes of faith, but none of them. They're all flawed people. It was only Jesus, only Jesus that can make people perfect. The Hebrew writer chapter before says, for by one sacrifice he had made perfect forever those who are being made holy. This great promise was fulfilled. As much as all that they experienced and all that they did, it all came short. They were not rewarded. It was what all led up to what was going to be fulfilled as bringing salvation to mankind through Christ. Bring completion of this work. And so the Hebrew writer goes on. He says, something better for us. And the us is us. That's you and I. That you and I, we live, if you've turned your life over to Christ, you and I live in this unique, and really, if you look at all of human history, this period of time is not that long. That in the last 2,000 years, we live in this age where what Jesus accomplished on the cross and what he did gave us this better life, this salvation to know for sure if we're a follower of Christ, we know for sure that we are going to heaven, that with this guarantee of our inheritance ahead. And if you don't know that for sure, we're here to pray with you. We're here to encourage you. We're here to help you walk you, you through the place that you can know that. But understand, that work has been done. That work has been completed to give us eternal salvation. Now, that wraps up chapter 11. Now, we can kind of go, good, service is over. Let's go barbecue. Okay, we're done. Great. As it's wrapped up in 11, if we don't read the next few verses, we miss the whole point of the whole summer the whole point of the whole summer and hearing all these different individuals and how they walked in faith and, and all of Hebrews 11, you miss the point if you just stop there and not go to 12. Because listen to chapter 12 with the first verse, first verse and the first word is this, therefore, therefore. Now, if you've done basic Bible study lesson, you, when you see the word therefore, you have to ask the question, what is it there for? It's there for a reason. It's there basically saying in light of it all and all that you heard and all that you read, therefore. And therefore is this, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, great clouds, so we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. That is actually a very Greek literature metaphor. This cloud of witnesses is like the amphitheater in, in Roman times. You picture gladiator and they're all together in the, in, in the Colosseum. That's really what this is. The cloud of witnesses. They're all witnessing what is about to take place. And who's in that cloud of witnesses is these heroes of faith. All these men and women that have gone before us. The writer's saying, and all that, all the great cloud of witnesses, here you are at this moment that they're there to cheer you on. To look on. I don't know about you, but it, it's, I really appreciate growing up what, and being in Little League. And maybe, you, ladies, you didn't do sports. Maybe you did dance or whatever it is. You're in a play. And it was so awesome to have someone uh, in the audience that you knew. And uh, there's someone in the audience that, that was cheering you on and there. And you look out and maybe it helped calm your nerves a little bit. Uh, uh, my mom was always proud. She'd wave at me, you know, like, you know, I'm up the bat, mom, okay? And, and, and my, my dad especially, when my dad was there, he couldn't make all the games just because of work. And then when he passed away, it was my uncle was there. And I remember him congratulating after the game. It meant so much. I don't care what age you are. We all need someone in our cheer section. We all need someone that's there. And that's what, that's what the writer's saying, these, in this great cloud of witnesses, but they're not just spectators. In fact, the, the word witness means martyr, 
Great cloud of witnesses. You could say it's a great cloud of martyrs. People, men and women, gone before us that made the ultimate sacrifice, experienced incredible amount of pain for the gospel and for the work that was being accomplished. And so he challenges the early church. Therefore, all that you heard of these great heroes of faith, it's now your opportunity to step up. It's your time to take your place in this fight, in this battle, in this race that we're, we're actually going to look at here in a moment. And, it, and I thought about that for them because they didn't know even what they're going through. We look back in the first century and, and most, if not all, at least one maybe made it and lived an old age as an apostle of all the original 12 that Jesus had. Men and women that lay down their lives were severely persecuted uh, in the first century church. And then centuries later, you read in history how men and women were thrown to the lions and imprisoned and tortured and burned and burned at the stake, you know, to get the Bible to people, boiled alive in oil. Or to reach out to groups of people where the gospel could spread throughout the world. And even to this day, in 2016, there was a million, and, and how do you even get a number around this, but a million people that were martyred for their Christian faith this, this, this last year. Think about that. One every, out of six minutes, someone was martyred, and they're added to the great cloud of witnesses. Therefore, we can look back and people before, and even your parents and grandparents that maybe they didn't die for their faith, but they made great sacrifices. So you and I, we could be here in this moment today and we could have this rich heritage of faith and a foundation that we build upon. And it continues on. This last week, I, we lost a great friend here, part of the, the Christ the King movements and, and stories, Dave Browning. Dave was was a pastor down at CTK Burlington. And, and really, the, the Skagit movement, Dave helped and really was the pioneer where the CTK story spread globally. And Dave had an interoperable brain tumor who was diagnosed about, about nine months ago and just passed away. And I'm gonna miss his voice, not only who he was, but his voice speaking into our, our story. And, and yet Dave and his in his faith and what he had in the beginning when he was first diagnosed, he says, you know, whatever happens, it's going to end, it's going to end well for me. And I thought, man, that, that's just a man of faith and I admire so much. Dave now sits as part of the great cloud of witnesses. Therefore, I want to challenge us all. Therefore, and all have gone and all the people that have gone before us, therefore, here, Labor Day 2017, it's our turn. Therefore, it is our turn. It's our turn. Can you turn to the person next to you and say, it's, it's your turn? Now, if there's someone on the other side, you can say now, because you say to them, the opposite person, it's my turn. Say that to me. It's my turn. Okay. My turn. Wake them up. Okay. It's hot. I know. It's hot in here. So I move. So it's our turn. It's our turn. Now, with it, there, there comes a price. I don't know what that's going to look like. You and I don't know what that's going to look like. And in our kids' age and when they're older, we don't know what society and our culture, what it's going to bring. And, 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 and some of us can be doomsday in that. We just don't know the progress. But we know this, that we're called to live our faith out. We're called and it's our turn. All these people, great cloud of witnesses, are in the stands cheering us on to make a difference this season. All heaven is waiting upon us to pass the baton and saying it's our turn to run the race. Ancient Greece, 
Olympic Games, and that's where we get the Olympics from, is very much a, a common theme throughout the ancient world that running a race was very, very popular. And so the New Testament writers would use that metaphor. Paul would use it. And of course, we're reading about the Hebrew writer would use it. And it's multiple places it's referred upon. But tell you this, it's, it is something that is a metaphor for us to, to grab hold of as well. Now, some of you, you're going, well, I, you know, running, I don't really relate to that. Like, you know, I'm not, like, and I tell you, running is not my favorite thing to do either. Okay, I, I get that. I, 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 I know that, uh, people run marathons and 5Ks and Ragnars. Is that what it is? Ragnars, whatever. Those are wonderful. Gr more power to you uh, to do that. But we all called, you know, run the human race. We're actually, as followers of Christ, called to run the Christian race. And it's very much steeped in scripture that we're going to look at. And yet, you know, if you're trying to run the Christian race, it's hard. It's not, Jesus says, you know, the, the, there's a wide road and there's a narrow road. And if you want to follow me, it's a narrow road. The narrow road is, is it's, it's steep, it's treacherous, it's long, it's, you know, there's, it, it's hard. It's just really, really hard. And so this morning, let's be honest, some of us might be here and, and you're maybe tired, but you would actually say you're more than tired, you're weary. You, how many of you know you can get a good night's sleep and still feel tired? That's weariness over us and weariness of life and all that's happening in our lives. And, and so some of us kind of say, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if I can get through this. And yet I have a feeling deep in your heart, if you're a follower of Christ, deep within you though, you do want to make it. And you, the best of you doesn't want to bail, doesn't want to give up, even when it's hard, even when the storm rages, even when the, the clouds with song. The fight goes on. We want to continue on the fight. But sometimes you're like, is it worth it? Can I finish? And not just finish, but finish strong and to finish well. The Apostle Paul in a different place in Scripture, he says this about running this race. He says, uh, to run in such a way to win. And can I tell you, can I encourage us all? Winning is not just finishing. Winning is finishing well. My friend Dave, who, who, who just just lived, you know, up until just his 50s. He finished well the race. He is hearing and heard the, the, his Savior say, well done, good and faithful servant, Dave. And I tell you, for you and I, that we want to do, we want to finish, but we want to finish well, don't we? We want to have a legacy to look back upon, but how can we get that? It's hard. And that doesn't mean that, you know, when we're running this race, we're fear of death or anything like that when it comes to our faith, but how do we live it out? How do we Really get to the place of living it out in our work and our school and, and all the distractions and the temptations and, and, and around us. Well, the Hebrew writer, as we're wrapping this whole thing up, gives us some practical ways to do so that I want to end this whole series with. Practical ways how we can run to win. So you can write these in. The first one is this. is the learning, is letting go and living light. Letting go and living, living light. Uh, if you've done any traveling recently and you, you know that the, there's a higher cost to, you know, checking your bags. And so a lot of us are like reducing like, okay, a two-week trip. We're going to use, like we're going to do a, tri you know, uh, uh, we're going to do, a, what do you call it? Carry-on. Carry on, thank you. You take the carry-on luggage. And, and I notice people like they'll, you know, you get in, you're sitting here, and people are coming in. And they're like, like this is so much space is, is in the overhead. And they bring something like this. Have you seen that? And they're cramming it in there. And they're just trying to like... I'm like saying, dude, it's not going to fit. Like, I don't care how, you, how much you try. Like, you've got a body in there or something. Like, it's not going to go. 
And I think in our lives sometimes it's the same way where we, we try to cram so much in our schedule and, and try to make it all fit and make our budget work and all of this. And in our culture of affluence and our abundance, we, we, it affects our faith in so much. And I find it interesting that, that the writer, he talks about, he talks about how, you know, the race, the, he says, you know, throw, throw out, I'm sorry, I'm lost here, lost my notes. To run in such a way to win, I, I mentioned, is this, he said, let us throw off everything that hinders and sin that so easily entangles. He says, therefore, since you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, he says, throw off everything that hinders. And I found it kind of fascinating. I didn't think after 30 years hearing this verse and knowing this verse that there's a difference between hindrances and sins. Have you ever caught that in here? Because there's things in our life that are not necessarily wrong or sinful, but they're hindrances. They're, new, they're morally neutral, but have really, they, they don't help us fulfill the greater experience that God wants us to have and the potentially has for us. It's like this. Comfort's not a bad thing unless playing it safe, being safe is not a bad thing unless influence is not a bad thing unless Money is not a bad thing. It really isn't unless a relationship is not a bad thing unless social media even is not a bad thing unless having stuff, having abundance is not a bad thing unless. Unless what? Unless it's in the way. Unless it's in the way of really truly pursuing God and really pursuing the priorities that he has for our lives. I mentioned we're cleaning out. We're downsizing. This last week, cleaning out my office, kind of get rid of stuff. I'm losing my office. So I'm like, how do I get it to this, right? And I had all this whole file cabinet, stuff I hadn't touched since it was put there. And I'm thinking, it's been eight years there. I'm thinking, am I going to use it the next eight years? No. Why? Because all these files are like different topics and everything, and you know, I put different articles in there. I don't need to do that anymore because I have the internet, okay? And so I got rid of it, and it was so cleansing. And I'm going to ask you in your life, not just physically, it's good to clean out. What do you need to do emotionally and even spiritually in your life? Here's the question. And, and really in this sense, what are you justifying in your life that you're, is hindering you from running lighter? What is in the way you're like, oh, I better hang on to this. better... What do you need to do differently? Are you doing too much? Do you need to streamline? Do you need to downsize? Do you need to simplify your schedule? Do you have a conversation with your, your spouse or your family? What does this look like as we start this new school year? And get the priorities. What's baggage in the way? Now, there's hindrances and things. They're not necessarily wrong, but wrong for you. But then there's just things that are wrong for everybody. And it's called sin. And there's things that we can typically justify. And it's okay. It's not a big deal. And yet... The writer talks about, he says, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And I think that's just a beautiful but sobering picture of what sin is like. Sin entangles, doesn't it? It gets us bound up. It gets us, makes life complicated. It makes it difficult that we go through and, and confusing and it destroys marriages and it puts, puts us in debt. It makes us addicted. It, it, it undermines trust. It creates distance in relationships that we, that we have, especially with God. It does this to our lives. 
And I think some of us here in this room, and ourselves include, all of us include at moments, we justify what we do. We know what's wrong, but it's okay because we've compartmentized it over here. It's okay. It's called secret sin, right? And it won't be that long being a secret. Just so you know, secret sins will come out. And it will entangle. And it's like, it's like cancer that's released into the entire body. There comes a place it will become malignant for you and for me. And it affects everybody. Let me ask, what are you tangled up with that you need God to forgive? Is your life complicated right now? You're going, yes. Is it possible it's your fault? <laughs> you know, is it possible that part of it is that you have made some wrong decisions and, and you've sinned? That you need to go to God and ask for a cleansing? Just like I clean out all my files, it's so freeing, by the way, to do that. There's something God wants to free the closet of your soul. He wants to clean the closet. Would you today, before you leave, what if you spent some time, as we pray at the end, say, God, cleanse me. Forgive me of sin. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Lord, you promised you, would, you can clean my heart. Will you do that in me today? And be freed to do that. Not only are you free to run, but to run at a, and I, I always say this, to run to win is to pace is the key to, to finishing well. Pace is the key for running this race to win is to finish well. We all seen it. Maybe you experience it if you've done any running before that, that you got to pace yourself, especially it's long distance. And we've all watched on TV in the Olympics where or, or somebody had a, their man, they're way out ahead and they just lost steam. They just ran out of gas at the end and they got beat because they didn't pace themselves. The Christian race, you probably heard it already, is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And the Hebrew writer says it this way, let us run with perseverance. Perseverance is this word of steadfastness, endurance, and steadiness. And I've learned in my life that pace is so important in our hurried, busy lives. When I had this break and being on sabbatical, I, this incredible gift to learn what pace and rest look like. And that pace is, is something that you, you, you take time and you develop and you find a rhythm. And I came across this scripture that just set the tone for an entire break where Jesus says these words. He says, and, this, and may they speak to you this morning, are you tired? Yeah. Are you worn out? Yeah. Are you burnt out in religion? Yeah. Come to me. Let, let, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Isn't that beautiful? And I love that phrase. It was a theme throughout my summer. Learning the unforced rhythms of grace. And learning the rhythm only comes through rest. If you don't rest, you'll quit. Resting isn't quitting. Resting is just stopping and taking a break. Getting a water break. Getting the, getting the energy again to keep going in there and finding this rhythmic pace. And Jesus says, I want to I run with you. I want to run this race with you. I want to I want to." Follow my pace. If you stick with me, we'll, we'll stick in this together and it will be the right pace. Here's the question. When and where will you do this daily and weekly? Where will you build in your schedule? Where will you be purposeful? I know summer's great. We, love, we don't like keeping schedules. Sometimes it's good to have a little bit back, back to a schedule, back to a, finding a new rhythm. It's not about strictness and religious Again, we burn out on a lot of that stuff. But what is the rhythm? 
Your rhythm is different than other people's rhythm. What does that rhythm, what does that pace look for you? Not just on a Sunday morning, but a daily time as you walk with Jesus. Can I tell you this? When, if you don't rest, if you don't figure this out, and this sounds so like ultimatum, like warning, you won't be around here any longer. <laughs> You're like, well, yeah. You won't be around here any longer. You won't keep the pace. If you continue without finding rest for your soul, finding rest and learning what the rhythm looks like, won't make it. I've seen it over and over again that people start out with, they sprint really, really hard. And I tell you, when, you, when gra- God grabs hold of your heart and Jesus transforms you, it's, a, it's awesome. It changes you. And yet I've seen it over and over again. And even our students this summer, this summer I'm hoping their experience right now, having an incredible experience with Jesus. But if you live just on experience alone, it won't last. Daily discipline is the key to it all. Adrenaline won't keep you going. Discipline does. And I, again, I'm not trained for a marathon. If I went out and tried to run a marathon, I might make it a couple miles, you know, with my phone. Please call and pick me up. I'm dead here, almost dead. We've learned, and you know, a pace is you've got to build endurance in doing that daily, daily rhythms to stretch ourselves and moving on. And we do this. And I've seen over and over when men and women don't keep pace, and in fact, I've seen it where a lot of people and their enthusiasm, their gifting outpaces their character. And over the 25 years as a pastor, I've seen extremely talented and gifted people that get sidelined because they leverage themselves too far and they expose themselves too quickly. And it's hard when you see talented musicians or you see talented charismatic youth leaders or people that just are giving, 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 and they just want to help and everybody admires that person and what they do and what they give, but they, they're, they're gifting and, they're, and their pace is outliving is outpacing really their character. And along the lines, there's something that happens. They make a a moral decision that's not good and it all falls apart. And there's embarrassment and there's shame. And what we find is they're not sitting here any longer with us. I hope they find a place. I hope they find a, a place of connection back into the body of Christ again. Something went wrong. There was a train wreck that happened along the way. Much of it had to do, they did not keep the pace that was there. Success is not stardom, but steadfastness is. Longevity comes through character development. Pace and running the race. And along the way is humility. Along the way, people speak and are like, whoa, whoa, I think you need to slow down a little. I think you need some encouragement. And humility tells us as a friend, hey, here's some course correction. And we take it. We take it as a part of correction for our lives. And we go, thank you for that. Let me ask, who or what, though, as you're going along, right, who or what are you allowing to trip you up and giving you an excuse for quitting? As you're going along in your pace, who, who is it along the way that maybe you're, you're tempted to do that? Because Paul says this. He says, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? See, I think we're really good at blaming other people for the race that we're, we're, we want to run, we're not running. We did it in school with, when we, you know, when you're in the lunch line, you're racing to get in line for the cafeteria and you're hungry and some kid cuts in front of you. We're like, cutter, you're cutter, right? We ask, who's cutting in on you? Who are you making an excuse? Well, those people over there, my boss and, 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 you know, that neighbor and my relative and my wife or my spouse, or my, you know, we blame people all the way that we're not able to run the race. Who are you blaming? Paul's saying, who cut in on you? We, we're, listen, we're all going to trip. We're all going to fall. It's when, we're, when we feel like we're a failure, what do we do with a failure? Failure is final if, if we still lay there. And, and mope and groan and complain and yell it's not fair. Your mom told you at 10, it's not fair. life's not fair. It's not fair. 
Or by God's grace, we, we, we do get up and we dust ourselves off and we continue on the race. And maybe along the way, we take people with us. Come on, get going. Let's go and run this race together. To run in such a way to win takes endurance, it takes pace, but you actually also need to know finally is where you're heading, right? You need to know where you're going. And I would say very simply, it's eyes on the prize. It's eyes on the prize. If, if, if we need motivation, motivation is this, there's hope ahead for us. There's something significant ahead. I kind of look at it this way of having, being motivated. It's like, you know, coaching a little league team and you're the coach and you bring all the, your, your team together and they say, you know, guys, girls, we're going to have a great, we're going to have a great year, but we're going to work hard. We're practicing every day for two hours. We're going to run. We're going to, we're going to work hard. We're going to sweat. You're going to get in shape. You're going to get skilled. It's going to be great. And the kids are motivated by that day in, day out. But after a couple weeks, they're going, uh, coach, uh, are we gonna ever going to play any games? And a good coach would say, oh, we got a schedule. Bad coach says, no, we're just doing this for fun. <laughs> Not fun. <laughs> You're going to lose your players like flies. You know, they're going to drop very quickly uh, as, as you go on. Why? There's no motivation. I tell you, as a, as a follower of Christ, the motivation is to run to win. God's put in us a drive, not for selfish gain, but for his kingdom. We are here for purpose. It is our turn to step up and to run the race. And he says, run this race. Let's run with perseverance. And he says this, the race marked out for us. The race marked out for us. What does this mean? It means we are to run the race marked out for us, not someone else. It's so easy to compare someone else's race, isn't it? See, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. We're all, you know, followers of Christ, we're going to heaven. That's our destination. But the pathway along the way, you know, like the twists and turns, and, and I think along the way, we can be running a race, and we look in the lane next to someone else, and we're going, wait a second, they got it easier than I do. I, I'm running in like dirt and ruts and gravel and slipping and falling, and they've got like, They've got a smooth pavement. In fact, they got the rubber kind of cement, you know, pavement running off the, they're smooth sailing. It's flat for them. I've got these hills. It's so hard. And we can compare ourselves with others and be like, I'm going to quit. That's done. That's not really fair at all. And yet, can I challenge us all, myself included, that we got to be careful not to look at other people's races, to put ourselves in other people's shoes. We don't know their unique upbringing. We don't know their unique personality. We don't know the specific lessons God's teaching them and the different assignments God has given them to accomplish the purposes he has for them. We are to run not their race or someone else's race, the race marked out for us individually. How do we do this? Is How do we know? Is heading in the right direction? Because I'll tell you what, if you're going along and you see an arrow and you miss and you're, you're in the dead end, you've got to turn around and come back. You've got to get back and look and put the eyes on the goal, not on someone else's race, but on the goal in mind. And the eyes and the prize are Jesus. Jesus, I know it almost sounds cliche, he is it. He is the focus of our lives. And, and, and the writer goes on, he says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. This fix, this word fix is so powerful because it means not just to, it means to gaze intently, but it, it also means to block everything else out. To really, really focus in. I tell you, it won't just happen on Sunday morning that we focus in on Jesus once a week. It is daily and it's often in our lives that we grow and we meditate in God's word. And we, when we look, if you want to look into the face of Jesus, 
is reading about him in scripture and the character and who he is and the quality and it, it permeates our lives and pretty soon when we look in the face of Jesus, Jesus looks in our face and looks very much deep in our soul and he brings transformation and we begin to learn this unforced rhythm of grace. He is, as much as we look at admire other people around us, he is the starter and he is the source of it all. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter. Pioneer is another word we use as author. And I love that because when Jesus went to the cross and shed his blood that we just sang about this morning and, and it's a part of our lives, he authorized us to, to run the race. He gave us authorization. He signed it with his blood. So you and I qualify even to run the race. The race that he has run, now we, it's our turn to finish the race. He says in perfecting, a perfecter of our, of our faith. We know positionally as followers of Christ, we're perfect before God, but we're far from perfect, aren't we? And throughout our lives, and we're stumbling, we're falling, and there's a perfective work that God continue to wants to do in and through our lives. And yes, we can look to the example, but there's no better example than Jesus. And he modeled it for us. For it says this, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Joy, really? What about pain? Yes, excruciating. But he had us in mind. As we are called to fixate our eyes on Jesus, he had his eyes on us on the cross, each and every one of us in mankind to save us. And he did it out of the scorn and shame. He did it out of joy because he knew the goal that he accomplished. He saw the end in mind. And that's the challenge for us is to keep focus on the end goal, to run in such a way as to win. And I'm so glad for the people that have ran before me, aren't you? The people that have now come, and they're now in the great cloud of witnesses. And at North Bay Christ the King, we, it's, it's, it's our turn. It's our turn to step out of the stands and out of our bubbles and out of our convenient places and where we're playing it safe and to step in. And I don't know what that looks like for you in this next season, but what if you ask that question, God, how do I step on the track? What does it look like for me to be a part of this, really being a part, not longer being a spectator, to really be involved in this race you call for, for me to, to run? Not someone else's race, my race marked out for me and what you have uniquely for me. Because I tell you, when we focus on ultimately on that example, it is what is going to get us through what we're going to get through. As our team comes, I want to just read this final scripture it says this, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so you will not grow weary and losing heart. At the end of it all, all the example of all these heroes of faith, all these people, therefore now that it's our turn, we look not only to them, but we look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith for the joy set before him, endure the cross, scorn his shame, and sat down at the right hand throne of God and consider all that he did so that we do not grow weary and losing heart. Last question as we pray. Have you grown weary and losing heart? Have you grown weary and losing heart? You're saying a little bit. Some of you go a lot right now. I want to pray. Can we believe that God will give us the energy and the endurance and the perseverance again, that he would fill us once again to help us. But the key, and I would just boldly say to you, that Jesus saying, eyes on me, eyes on me, eyes on me, not anything else, all the distraction, everything around you, eyes on me, and even in the abundance, and even the opportunities, no, eyes on him, 
Because we can get so focused on the good things and we miss what God's wanting to do right in front of us. To keep our eyes on Jesus, fixated on him. And that's where we're going to find strength in our weariness. We're going to find hope where we're losing heart. So I invite you just to bow with me as we close in prayer this morning. I just feel motivated again just to read this invitation as a prayer to you, as an invitation. If you could just hear Jesus say these words to you. This, this invitation to every single one of us. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I will not lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. Lord Jesus, we receive that promise today. Lord, I receive it for my life. I pray for every single person here, no matter of their, their level of weariness and losing heart, no matter if they feel strong in their faith or the weakest they've ever felt, Lord, this invitation is for each and every one of us that you invite us to join you on the race. You enjoy, you invite us to come with you, to come by our side, to, to, that we come by your side to follow you, and that you said you would help us keep the pace. And Lord, that when times when we run ahead, when, our, when we run beyond our character and maturity, Lord, you would help us to slow it down a little bit. And Lord, for some of us, we need to run a little bit harder, but Lord, you give us the strength and endurance. And whatever is weighing us down, God, this morning, it's burden upon us, Lord, that we could just place it at your feet. Whatever would be hindering our faith, whatever even sin that just has messed our life up, that we would lay it at your feet and we ask for forgiveness. We ask for cleansing. We ask for our load to be lightened so they can walk and we can run and we can pursue our passion for you. And Lord, as we go into this week, I pray that we can keep that passion alive, that we keep fixated on you. And where distractions come in our way, that we could say, no, Lord, I'm, I'm keeping my eyes on you. Eyes on you. Eyes on you. Eyes on you, Lord. And that, God, you would help us not only to finish the race, but, Lord, to finish well. That all the people have gone before us, all the people that are examples to us, and Jesus, your examples to us as well, especially. Therefore, it is our turn to run, and to run, to win, to run, to finish, to run well. That, Lord, one day is my wonderful example of our pastor friend, Dave Browning, stood before you this days ago. Well done, good and faithful servant. May that be our goal with you in mind, we pray. In Jesus' name.